Are you tired of putting yourself last? Of taking care of everybody else's needs and powering through to meet the next set of impossible standards? In our fast-paced society, we lose touch with our intrinsic worth, with the ability to value ourselves for who we are right now. Instead of living life exhausted, frustrated, and disconnected from your authentic self, maybe it's time to put yourself back in the life you've worked so hard to create. Join radio host and life choreographer Laura Cheadle and learn how to build your dreams and live your sparkle using the five steps of flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle. In today's show, you are going to absolutely love because this show is going to help you get your sparkle on. Now, there are plenty of ways of sparkling, but as you probably all know, we sparkle best when we feel good. And the amazing guest that I have on my show today is Miss Carly Pollock, and she helps people feel good. So good, in fact, that her website says specifically, you deserve to feel good and live in the body that you deserve. So if you're anything like me, you're coming out of winter hiding, you're looking forward to summer and you're kind of going, ah, things aren't exactly where I want them to be. Well, never fear, Carly is gonna get you there today. Let me tell you a tiny bit about her story before I bring you on because her story is very similar to mine and it's probably similar to yours too. She says that she wasn't happy with her body. She was addicted to sugar, she was overeating, she was constantly stressed, worried, and anxious, and couldn't seem to control the voices in her head. She wanted to make changes, but she was stuck in patterns that seemed to control her. I'm guessing that you can totally relate to that. Anyway, after a weekend binge, she would start the week feeling sluggish, guilty, frustrated, mad with her, mad at herself. After years of going on and off diets, she finally set the intention to make a major lifestyle change. Her all or nothing mentality in the past was not working. So she decided to make some small changes over time and her, her new behavioral shifts started adding up to big change. She ended up going to college for nutrition and didn't stop until she had a master's in holistic nutrition, became a certified clinical nutritionist, a life coach, and a spiritual advisor. As she says, don't let my snarky New York attitude fool you. I am a true spiritual gangster. So with that, welcome to the show, Carly. I mean, with that type of intro... How could we not have a fantastic conversation? Oh my gosh, I am so excited to hear what you've got to say and to hear about your new book, Nutritional Wisdom. Oh, it's called Feed Your Soul. Oh, why did I say Nutritional Wisdom then? Because nutritional, because it's called Feed Your Soul, Nutritional Wisdom to Lose Weight Permanently and Live Fulfilled. And I have a private practice in Austin 
called nutritional wisdom. And it's funny that we're talking about this. There are no mistakes because no. I've never, no one's really ever asked me one, why the, the private practice is called nutritional wisdom or why I fought so hard to get nutritional wisdom to be part of the book title. I mean, I've never, never spoken about this. And what, what I really thought about over a decade ago, I started my private practice and it's really hard to come up with a name that you feel encompasses all of the things that you really want to teach people, but then also that will grow with you as you evolve and your practice evolves and your teaching evolves. And I, and I felt like, nutrition information is everywhere and there's too much there, but true nutritional wisdom, true wisdom is really rare. And that's why I I named it nutritional wisdom because it's not just going to be, Hey, I'm going to put you on the fad diet or we're going to count calories or you're going to do keto or whatever. It was like, no, I'm going to teach you how to learn your body's language so that as your health changes and your requirements change, you can be your own nutritionist, really. You know, it's like teach a person to fish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you know what? You're right because it is more than just information and you're absolutely right. There's way too much information out there. And I think that's why it gets so confusing and why people get frustrated and quit because it's overwhelm and overload and we can't know all that. So you're right. It, it is about the wisdom and how to pivot and change when you need to change. That's why in the beginning, when I started to get the itch, which all writers know that there's this itch where you start to either the universe mirrors it to you. So that's what happened in the beginning for me all of my clients and friends and I would say something and I would say something snarky or funny. People would be like, you should write a book. You should write a book. And and in the beginning I was really anti-writing a book, not because of the work it would take because I really don't shy away from something that's hard work, but it, it, but it was like, ugh, it's all been said. Has it not all been said? There's too many books out there. And then I just realized it hasn't been said what I'm saying. (laughs) I just have to jump in on that. And and I want all the listeners to hear this too, right up front. I, this just tells you how old I am. I have taught fitness since 1988. That does not mean I'm a nutritionist. However, when you do your fitness certification, you're always taking classes on some, you know, nutrition. So I know a little bit. And when I found your book, my first thought was snarky too. Oh, great, another diet book. And I picked it up and started reading it. And then I was like, oh, no, 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 this is different. No, no, this is not same old, same old. This truly is wisdom. (laughs) This is really something I'm going to use. And this is something I'm going to refer to my friends who are also into fitness and health and nutrition as something that is new and different that's really valuable. And when I, you know, I make it really clear in the book that I'm not anti-diet and that I'm not pro-diet either and that people don't know that there's an in-between because we have the anti-diet message, which is very clear and, and was born out of all of us being so sick of doing another 30-day cleanse and another diet 
And then the anti-diet message started, which is screw dieting. It doesn't work. It'll never get you to where you want to be. Just love yourself and, you know, just eat what you want and life is short and whatever. And then there's this pro-diet movement, which we've all been under the thumb of for many, many years, which is, you know, just one more behavior modification rule and you'll be free and you'll love yourself. And I sit right in the middle, which is you can't be anti-diet because everybody is on a diet. That's just the bottom line. You could be on an insane diet or a crappy diet or you're on the grapefruit diet or whatever. You eat whatever you want diet. Guess what's that? That's a diet. That's true. But everybody is on a diet. My stance is that I want you to be on a diet that one, biochemically fits your needs so that there's an individuality to it. And two, that is deeply supported by a spiritual and emotional practice because dieting by itself, we know is utter chaos. I've been on 15 million of them and the anti-diet message is right in that regard that they don't work. But the truth is you cannot just eat whatever you want because we live in a world where all we have all these delicious foods and they are inflammatory and we all have a friend or ourselves know someone with a food intolerance, a thyroid issue, hormonal imbalance, you know, a pain, fatigue, inflammation. And I'm sorry, you can't just eat whatever you want. <laughs> and be, I'm sorry, you can. What I'm saying is you cannot eat whatever you want and be at the top peak of your health and vitality. You, it, there is going to be a, um, a, a shift there that happens. And if the shift can be mental, which is what the book is all about, instead of having it be on your plate, have it be deeper, then you're on the road to making permanent change. Yes. Oh my gosh. Amen to all of that. Because it is about feeling good. And I want to talk a little bit more about some of that inflammation and intolerance and things like that. Because what we eat does fuel us. And what we eat directly impacts how we feel. And I'm not going to lie. I want to look good. Sometimes I look better. Sometimes I look worse. That is a piece of it. But more importantly is how I feel. I want to wake up not groggy. I don't want to have achy joints. I don't want to squat down and go, oh, 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 when I stand up. I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. And I want to have all the energy to run around and do everything that I want to do. And for most of us, in order to have that, we have to do the things that also make us look good in a bathing suit. I know that there are always exceptions to the rule, but me personally, I'm not a naturally thin person. In order for me to look good on the outside, I have to be also taking care of myself. So for those of us listening, and you know, normally I used to just be so jealous of those women that would be naturally thin going, oh man, I wish I could be like you. But really, if I were naturally thin and could eat whatever I want, I would for sure die of cancer because all <laughs> I would eat is sugar and french fries. <laughs> for everybody listening who is jealous of that skinny friend that we all have or that person that puts on muscle easily or whatever, it's like, this is a... Um, I learned from a mentor of mine, Paul Check. he called it a pain teacher. And I love that. It's pain that comes into your life that teaches you how to live 
a more enlightened life or a life more on the path that you are meant to be. So the fact that I'm not a naturally thin person and I need to eat healthy if I want to look good, I now look at it as a blessing because it allows me to have all those things that you just mentioned, no inflammation, feeling you know boundless amounts of energy, waking up feeling clear-headed. My body then becomes a physical reflection of how much I love and care about myself. I never... I never liked the idea that vanity felt like this shallow thing. I think that we feel bad about wanting to look good. Yeah. And I think if we can connect looking good to that, if we look good, we've done all these things to feel good too, then it's a barometer of how we're doing. So if I wake up in the morning and I have a flat stomach, it's a barometer of how well I ate the night before, that I consciously ate, that there wasn't any emotional eating at night, that my digestive system is working, aka I pooped when I woke up. And so it, so I love the flat stomach, but I also love what it represents. And in that way, then we can be as vain as we want. <laughs> I love that shift because that is an absolutely amazing shift. And you're right, that's that emotional connection, that spiritual piece, that whole connection of my body is a temple and what have I done to honor it? And here's my happy, wonderful, feel-good reward. And if it's just vanity, because if we're talking about it in that way, we need to talk about the flip. So many of us have experienced only vanity pushing the weight loss or the healthy eating. And what you'll notice is when push comes to shove, it doesn't get you all the way there. So here's an example. Let's say you have an event coming up, you're going on a Mexican vacation or a wedding or a reunion or whatever, and you decide to create clarity around this and you go, okay, I want to look good. I want other people to validate me for looking good. We start to visualize them saying, oh, you girl, you look great. And, and we start to become really motivated you're going to notice that a week before when it starts to be crunch time, you're going to be like, eh, whatever I am, what I am. <laughs> or, you know, close and you go, well, whatever. It's just, it's not going to work. It's just going to, I'm just going to wear the old, you know, tankini that I wore, forget it. And it's so easy when it's just about vanity to lose way. But when it's something deeper, it creates a type of clarity that is truly grounding. And so vanity by itself can't be the only thing, but in conjunction to all of those other goals can really be a helpful driver of that motivation. I like that. I really like that. And when you use the word grounding, it made me think of eating as a spiritual practice. It's something that we have the opportunity to do many times a day, and we can do it with intention and focus, or we can just cram in the fries and dip those fries in the chocolate malt. Not ever. <laughs> what are you talking about? What's malt? Uh, and I am all about realistic spiritual practices. I get it. I have an infant. I run a business. I run a home. My family lives close to me and we're very involved in, in a lot of the, uh, the family dynamic. And I do not eat every meal in silence, sitting on the floor with a pair of chopsticks, thanking each vegetable for being grown. Although that's great. And if I ever get to that place, that's fantastic. But what I do practice is the first few bites of my meal are with perfect intention. I smell the food. I, 
I am thankful for the food that's nourishing my body. I put the first bite in my mouth and I pretend like I've never tasted these flavors before. And I have that moment where there's really a true consciousness about the eating and, it, and it's intentional about what I'm putting in my mouth. And then if I'm being honest, I'm answering an email and I'm picking up the phone and I'm trying to create touch points to where every couple of bites, I come back to the meal and say, what am I eating? What does it taste like? How is it fueling me? You know, I am thankful. That's the, the realistic practice of conscious eating. I don't want people, you know, our minds are so black and white. So if we can't do something the full way, you know, if we can't meditate for an hour, we certainly don't want to do five minutes. Right. You know, a lot of the book is to, is to bust through that black and white thinking because true health I realize now after many, many years on this path, it really lives in a gray area. It's not perfect. And for me, that's really hard because I'm a recovering perfectionist and I am a OCD, like I'm not recovering. Right. <laughs> I am an active OCD, like crazy organized person. And that's hard for me because people with that personality really want things to be black and white. We either want to be right or wrong. We want the day to be a completely healthy day or we're going to eat a box of cookies because that one cookie ruined it. And you're going to notice that most of the damage you do is after you decided you messed up, not with the first thing that was the mess up, not with that first few bites of cookie, not with the fact that you woke up in this morning. And I teach I teach not to do this all the time. I just wrote a post about this. So it's funny how we're all, you know, walking contradictions. But this morning I got up and the first thing I did was check my email, which normally I don't do. And I really propose starting the day with intention setting and giving yourself that little bit of self-care in the morning. And I started the day and I, and I read my email and this voice came through of going, oh, look, you ruined the day. You start the day looking at your, I mean, this day's complete crap. It might as well be one of those Mondays where you're running around crazy and you don't get anything done. And then you eat a bowl of cereal after you've eaten a full dinner. Like it, it always for me is going to wind up on my plate because yeah. eating is, is my outlet where somebody else, I mean, shopping, gambling, pick your poison. And my higher self had to come through and say, oh no, you can pivot. I'm going to use your word, a beautiful word that you used in the beginning. You can pivot and return back to what is real for you, you know, that you're going to have uh, a, a busy outer body and a grounded inner calm, which is always my intention. And imagine, okay, I started the day reading my email. What damage would that really do versus the rest of the day deciding that it's ruined? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right on. How many of us have, have done that, if that exact same thing with food? I messed up. I had a second glass of wine. I had some ice cream. It's all shot now. And what about when you do it and it's Friday? Because then it's not just shot for the day, it's shot for the weekend. Or what about when you do it and it's the 20th and then it's shot for the rest of the month? And you know, um, I learned this term recovery rate. And I believe if I remember correctly, I learned it as, um, as it pertains to relationships, that the health of your relationship is not how um, often you fight. It's that when you fight or disagree, how quickly you can return back to a place of love. And so um, it was called recovery rate. And that that was the true mark of a relationship. And then I realized it's the same thing with food. Your mark of success to be healthy is not how long you go without eating sugar or not how long you can go in the day without messing something up. It's how quickly you can return back 
to those guidelines and loving boundaries once you realized you've fallen out of alignment with, with what is ethically and morally true for you from a soul level of how you want to live your life. I love that so much. And you know what? Coming from a fitness background, recovery rate is what matters in cardiovascular fitness as well. It's not how high you can get your heart rate. It's how quickly that heart rate returns to normal. It's so funny. I never, I mean, I knew that, but I never really thought about it in that way too, that I'm sure we can find other analogies of, of this recovery rate. So if I eat a cookie and in the, you know, what is an amazing recovery rate? You know what I'm more impressed with than somebody not eating the food at all is you're in the middle of eating it and you stop is so much harder than just, I'm not going to eat the cookie at all. And so that's a recovery rate that I'm truly impressed with. I'm like mid eating and I stop and I say, am I physically hungry right now? And then the answer is no. And I say, okay, I don't have to have chaos around this. I don't have to have judgment, shame, guilt. I'm just going to put this down and walk away. And that recovery rate, as opposed to a recovery rate, the longest one I've ever seen are the holidays. So Halloween comes. Hello, everyone. October. Right. And then we don't recover till January, which is truly, what is that? Like a third or a fourth of the year. (laughs) I'm not a math expert, but it's a long friggin' time. So really thinking about that, if that's one big takeaway from everybody listening today is start marking your success and how quickly you can recover back to a place of feeling like you're on, not judging yourself for how many days you can go on, you know, the whole 30. (laughs) I, I love that. I'm writing that down as we talk. I love that. That is brilliant. And you're absolutely right. People start tanking in October and then they think Thanksgiving's right around the corner. And then they think it's Christmas, it's New Year's, it's Holy cow. Like these are months, people. There's no right around the corner. Your next moment, your next minute's right around the corner, not from October 31st to November, you know, 20, whatever, whenever Thanksgiving is. Right. If you notice, because I have an infant, yeah. I, I was talking to my husband about this because when you don't sleep, they say even missing two nights of sleep make you like, like to a level of drunkness, like you're like, um, you know, I forget what they call it. Yeah. But, in my word recall, this whole, this whole conversation is going to be like, you know what I'm saying, because I haven't <laughs> slept in a year. Exactly. It's still in the blanks for me. When I go, November, I don't know when Thanksgiving is, people. You guys know. It's just a long time. Fill <laughs> it in. <laughs> I get it completely. Don't worry. Good, good. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that is just absolutely brilliant. And how we sabotage ourselves based on that all or nothing thinking is kind of astounding. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just one of many, many ways that we sabotage our own success. And this is really the core of the book is that we are not creative with the ways we sabotage. I have to tell you, it's the same 10, 20 patterns that I see and they're all written about in the book. And then you read them and you go, that's me, that's me, that's me. My biggest pattern that is the self-sabotaging is that I allow the mind to convince me, as Brene Brown calls it, a lie told honestly, which I love because that's truly what it is. We lie to ourselves, but we really truly believe what we're saying at the moment that my brain convinces me that I don't care. So then I say to myself, screw it in this moment, I don't care. When in reality, the truth in that statement is I care more about my health than I do 
anything else, anything, even more than family, even more, because I know that in order to be there for them, in order to, you know, share my gifts with the world, all the things that are of top importance, my quality of life is directly affected by my health and the ability for me to give and to have these experiences. So it's funny how the thing I care about more than anything else in the world, the mind convinces me that I don't care about at all in the moment in order to have four minutes of comfort, distraction, numbing, you know, you name it. Right, right. Or that the food you were about to partake in really won't matter anyway. Yeah, well, that's another one. There's, I think I identify seven or so stories, you know, the, um, this won't matter. One little part won't matter. I don't care. I'll start tomorrow. I'm so far from my goals. I'll never get there anyway. Uh, I deserve this is a big one for people. So, you know, identifying what your patterns are is really the very first and one of the most important tools, somebody else could say awareness is another way to call, you know, say it, is to be aware of what gets you into this diet-induced groundhog day mm-hmm. so Absolutely. that you can step in and interrupt the pattern. Yeah. And I'd like to pa- just like pause for two seconds just to let the listeners kind of think and process that and to challenge them. Listeners, what are you struggling with right now? And what are those excuses that come up? What are you thinking when you go through the drive-through and instead of getting a coffee, you get like the, you know, mocha, caramel, everything up? What are the thoughts in your head? And just take a moment and think about those because I'm betting you that Carly addresses those thought patterns in her books and then provides some tools to help you interrupt those and get a grip with what's really happening. And also, don't feel guilty. Like you said, we all do it, and we're not very creative. It's the same few patterns. And people are, I think, disappointed and, and surprised at how many times you need to interrupt a pattern. Well, in, in my you know 36 years of life, how many times have I said this one pattern? So just because I interrupted one time, I, I'm a big, um, I am a visual learner and I am a visual person. So even as we, we talk or I coach, I'm always visualizing. And so this visual of me that every time I have a pattern that I say I don't care, I picture a little rope tying me to the ground, even just the, the size of a, a shoelace. Okay, but there's 10,000 of them. And so and I'm so stuck to this pattern. Well, every time I say, actually, Carly, you do care. You care more about this than anything else. So what we're going to do is, and then I make a different plan. I cut one shoestring, just one. Now there is a point in which I cut a bunch that I start to feel lighter. And then all of a sudden I can move my arm and both arms. And eventually I cut all of those, but I don't want the listeners to be discouraged that they try this tool. And then the next time they go through the drive-through, they get that mocha because they're PMSing or they had a hard day or they had a fight with their husband or wife or whatever, um, or, or something happened at work. It doesn't mean this isn't working and it doesn't mean that you are lazy and, and that it will never work for you, but you may have 10,000 ropes weighing you down. Right. Right. And it also doesn't mean that next time you won't order a coffee with, you know, skim milk. If you have that awareness and you think, oh, I am aware. Here was the excuse that I made. Here was the story that I told. Here's what's going on. You kind of set yourself up to have the ability to do better the next time because you 
are already aware instead of just subconsciously ordering it and downing it without tasting it, without smelling it. All of those things that you talked about in the mindful eating. I remember I went, the longest I ever went without sugar was four months. It was a, and, and absolutely no sugar other than fruit and a little bit of honey. And it was an extremely long time. I felt better than I ever have in my entire life. Right. And the reason why I went off of it, we could always talk about because it started to, it started to turn on me um, and I could go into that. But the point of me telling you that I went off for four months is when I eventually added it back in, the second I ate something that was even relatively sugary, a piece of cake, or whatever, I mean, I could feel the sugar pumping through my veins. I was anxious. I had sugar anxiety. Like my heart was pumping and I thought, holy crap, this is what sugar does to the body. But we do it day in and day out. We start to not feel it anymore. And when you said the mocha frappuccino, it's like if I drank that now, I would have like an anxious <laughs> breakdown because that's I haven't had that much sugar going pumping through my veins in a long time. But in high school, I used to drink those things like they were my water bottle. My brother worked at Starbucks and I would get free frappuccinos and I was like, put that whipped cream on it, the chocolate flakes, like and of course I was, you know, skinny and just didn't know it or appreciate it, which right. I think we've been that we've all been there. But, you know, taking breaks from some of these things and putting your focus and awareness on, I'm going to make these loving boundaries out of a desire to find a stronger feedback mechanism from my body to my mind because the body doesn't speak English. It speaks in symptoms or lack thereof. And just like my example of not feeling it after a while, you know, some people I take off dairy and they go, no, 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 I don't have a problem with dairy. And I say, well, let's just go off of it for two weeks and then let's bring it back in. What's two weeks? So they go off of it for two weeks, they bring it back in, they eat dairy, their nose starts running, they have phlegm in their throat. So part of this is um, really pushing yourself to understand how the body works and using the tools that we talk about or in the book to motivate, to arrive at that destination where you are fully clear on what works for your body and doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I love how you just said feedback because that's what it is. It's experimenting and getting some feedback. Maybe dairy impacts you. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe wheat impacts you. Maybe it doesn't. That's kind of up to you to decide. And, and it, I would think it would free up the listeners to kind of say, hey, let's see what happens without sugar, without alcohol, without whatever. And let's just see because then you truly can choose. Hey, this is how I want to feel or eh, not that big of a difference for me. I'm fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like, people think it has to be this humongous shift and that one day they wake up and they see the light and then they eat super clean for the rest of their lives. Tony Robbins says that we underestimate, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in a decade. And we've all had the goals where we make goals for the year and at the end of the year we go, man, I, I hit three out of 10 of these. Whoa not doing well. But then if you look at your life 10 years ago, you go, wow, I've made all these changes in my business, in my job, in my education. And now I don't want it to take you a decade to get into your best, you know, to get your best health and vitality. But even day to day, I feel like we overestimate what we can do in, you know, six or so months. But 
a year or two looking back, as long as you keep putting your awareness and focus on how to be healthier, small step by step, you look back and you go, wow, I really do eat completely differently than when I, you know, than when I ate a few years ago. And those changes, they add up. Yeah. I, I love that because when I read your book, I, you know, again, I feel like I'm healthy. I'm fit. I know a lot, blah, 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 blah. But I read your book and it just kind of made me realize, wow. I go out to eat all the time because it's convenient. And sure, I buy organic at home and I cook healthy at home, uh, not that often. And I actually said to my husband, do you realize we like have this little ego trip going on that we buy organic and we cook healthy and we do all this stuff. And then four out of the five nights we go out to eat at restaurants that are not organic, that have sugar, that have fat, that have meat that we normally wouldn't eat. We're not even doing what we say we're doing. There's this, there's this restaurant that is very famous in Austin, and it's a health food. It's like the healthy restaurant. And I remember going there, a friend, a dear friend of mine was in town, and she was on a really strict no sugar. Uh, and she, so we sit down and we talk to the waitress and she's like, listen, I cannot have any sugar. And it was a Thai, it's a Thai food place. So there's curries and things like that. And she's like, okay, I'm going to talk to the chef and I'm going to come back. And she comes back and she's like, the only thing on our menu that doesn't have sugar is our fried chicken. And the, and my friend was like, what about this, with the salad with the dressing? She's like, sugar. She's like the coconut curry, sugar. And it was just really mind, like mind blowing to me, really eye opening that here's this restaurant that we all go and we want to be healthy. And so laden with sugar that this woman had to order fried chicken in order to stay on her, um, her sugar-free diet. So I talk about that as one of the pillars of self-care because I talk about the five non-negotiables of self-care. And I am really open to multiple paths to wellness. I know after seeing thousands and thousands of people, it's not just, you don't have to do just one type of exercise or eat one ratio of macronutrients. I mean, different things really work for different people. But there are these five non-negotiables that I think every single human being needs to have despite gender, age, activity level. It's like we all need it. And the one you're referring to, one of the five is cooking and cooking your own meals because I have found myself in the same place that you are where we'll go out to eat and we go out to these healthy restaurants, but they're not organic. So I'm eating this salad. And so I'm proud of myself that I'm eating this salad, but I'm eating pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. The dressing is made with canola oil. So I'm getting the polyunsaturated fats. There's sugar now news to me, but there's sugar in all these things. And you know, uh, the last eye-opening thing is when you go to a place like Cheesecake Factory or where they put the calorie count everywhere, and you uh-huh. the salad's 800 calories, and you think, how on earth did you inject this calorie into a piece of lettuce? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. None. Yeah. Could you share those five pillars with the listeners? And with a little caveat too, that these are five pillars that you believe in, that I wholeheartedly believe in too. But just like that shoelace example, it's not like, bam, you've listened to the show. You got to take all of them on today. And I don't even take all of them on every day. So let's, let's talk about the five pillars and then let's talk about what's realistic for everybody. So the first pillar we covered is cooking your own food. And eating out four to five times a week is not a lot for many people because a lot of people eat out 
15 times a week. And so wherever you are, let's, let's after each pillar talk about um, wh- where you are and where you want to be. Wherever you are, cut it by a couple. So even if you only eat out three times a week, let's see, challenge yourself to go seven days to cook your own, to cook your own meals. Maybe yeah. there's something that you don't eat out, but that is processed that you grab and see if you can find a recipe and make it yourself. Just once, see if it's worth the time, make your own hummus, decide. I've decided that I'm going to buy it from the store and that's what, what works for me. But, uh, so cooking is, is one non-negotiable of self-care. The second is exercise. You know, everybody needs to move. And ideally, we're moving our bodies every single day. Today, I did not move my body. I consciously planned out my exercise and knew that today was the day I was going to get more accomplished because I didn't exercise. But I want to be resourceful with my time. And I also told my husband, in between every main project that we do, let's go for a little run around the block. It doesn't have to be like a full-blown exercise class, but let's do something. Third is meditation. And this is the biggest resistance out of all of the uh, non-negotiables of self-care because I've heard from so many people before, meditation, excuse me, doesn't work for me or I have a really busy mind. And the truth is, is if you have a mind, you need to be in the practice of quieting that mind and of disassociating everything that the mind thinks. So everyone needs some sort of meditation, but different meditations work for different people. My mom absolutely needs guided meditation, whereas I use a mantra and the guided meditation distracts me. So you just have to find what works for you. And five minutes is better than nothing. Oh, and 30 seconds is even better than... <laughs> Well, there's this, I was taught this meditation called the backpack meditation. And I believe they called it that because it was kind of like, oh, you could take it in backpack, take it anywhere. And it's a one minute meditation. And you set the clock for one minute and each breath, inhale and exhale, you try to make longer than the last. And it goes by so quickly because it's a minute, but after your body feels totally different. So I made a commitment. It was a few years ago that I was going to meditate every single day that year, but it was okay that that meditation was the backpack meditation. And so I would get into bed and go, okay, I didn't do my 20 minutes twice a day, which is traditional transcendental meditation, but I'm going to do the backpack. And I was, I was, you know, still doing that one minute. If we all did that when we woke up and, and went to sleep, two minutes uh, would be, would be so life-changing. So there's the meditation. There's also um, silence, which I was very clear to have it be different than meditation. Silence is about unplugging from social media, getting in nature, having that time to just reflect and ground to what's really important to you. This is the other top resistance that I find that we don't know why we're so inconsistent with dieting and, and food, but we're not doing those you know, in daily grounding exercises or giving ourselves any silence whatsoever. So we have... Oh, and then the fifth one is sleep. Yeah. And we, we all need to get a good amount of sleep and you know we could do an entire hour on sleep, but the five pillars of um, the five non-negotiables of self-care are sleep, cooking, exercise, meditation, and silence. I really appreciate that you have silence and meditation separated as well, because you're right, they are different things and they serve different purposes. And... I also really appreciate that you tied them in with self-care 
because I think sometimes people think, oh, I don't need meditation and I don't need silence because I'm not doing that deep spiritual stuff. It can be deep spiritual stuff, but it's caring for your body. It's caring yeah. for your heart. It's, it's about you. And there's different seasons to your life. I can't stress this enough. I have an infant right now. My silent time is oh. really suffering. So yeah. is my sleep, people. Okay? Yeah. I have not slept in, through the night, and I cannot even tell you how long. And you won't. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll, I'll pop out another one probably right when she falls asleep, when she sleeps. But... I have to understand that it means something different to me right now. You know, that when I'm in the room nursing her, that that silence is how I get it. I used to, pre-kids, go for a silent walk in nature. I would have these days where I was totally unplugged and I wouldn't talk to anybody and I would sit in the sauna and I was really spoiled, you guys. Right. And I did not realize it. Nope. Just like when we're skinny when we're younger and we do not realize how good we have it. Uh, but... But I'm in a season where to expect to have those things the way I had before will create a lot of suffering for me. So yes. recognize everyone listening, where you are in the season of your life. Maybe you're nursing an injury and exercise is not going to be the way you want it to. Maybe it's a, it's a geriatric walk around. You know, I've been in a place where I've been nursing an injury and I'm feeling guilty. It's like I went for a, a, a walk and it was like, oh, well, that's not really exercise. No, it is for me right now. And when I get to a place where I'm running or cycling or doing heavier exercise, then that's a different season. But don't make excuses. Figure out what season you're in and then demand the most of yourself within that season. Don't use it as an opportunity. Like I'm not going to say I have an infant Therefore, I can't get any silent time. I can get silent time. I have a nanny. I have a, a mom who could watch her. But it has to, it has to fit where you are. Just make sure there, that you're not using it to prevent you from getting to that place that is your ultimate health and vitality. I, I can't remember the exact word you used, but I love that because amen on the seasons. But you said push yourself like as far as you can within that season. And I love that because you can relate. I just got done writing my book. Line edits were due on Sunday. This past year, I had a broken foot. I wrote a book. I had some major life transitions. No, I was not eating and exercising. I was in a foot cast. I was writing. It was difficult sometimes to do the most that I could do because it was easy to say, I need to sit down. I can't walk. I can't leap around. I can't run. I can't, I can't, I can't. But you're absolutely right. You can still walk and I could walk quickly and I could still do yoga. And yes, I had all these edits due, but you can still write standing up. You can still do some squats in between sentences. I love how you said, push yourself, do as much as you can while honoring the season that you're in. Yeah. Don't BS yourself because the mind is really, really good at that. Yeah. And you know, I'm an expert at that. I think we all are. And I just want to be, you know, the BS detection. I need to be aware at all times as to what stories I'm telling myself that are myself that's really just a limiting belief. Also, I want to mention that depending on the season of your life, your body is going to be a reflection of that. That's why we do have to separate our self-worth and who we are and are we enough we need to separate it by the perfection of the body. I mean, after I had my, I was, you know, I, I was 
overweight at one point and then I lost the weight and I enjoyed for many, many years being in a body that I was very proud of. And then I got pregnant and I gained the typical 40 pounds and everyone kept telling me after I had the baby, oh, it's going to melt off you. It's going to melt off you. When you breastfeed, it's just going to melt off you. And it oh, did no. not. No, it did not. It's, and my midwife was the only person that said, I just want to warn you that for some women that happens and for some women, they'll hold on to weight when they're breastfeeding as kind of like the opposite thing, that the body wants to make sure that you have that fat storage. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, a week after the baby came out, I lost a significant amount of weight. You know, you lose like 20 pounds in a week. It's amazing. Yes. And then it just stopped. And for at least four months, I was exercising and eating clean and nursing and burning those extra 500 calories. And my body, you know, I, I couldn't fit into any of my clothes. I was still wearing my pregnancy jeans. And there were moments that I would just forget my tools and really sink into that comparison and that suffering and that judgment and, and you know, really not liking what I saw in the mirror. And I had, to, I had to remind myself, like, this is the season I'm in, and I'm doing the best I can. And I know if I keep doing these things, you know, for anyone listening with hormone imbalance or thyroid issues or autoimmune, that right now you are doing all the right things, and it is not physically manifesting. Know it will come. Know that you have to do that part. It was like the thing I had to tell myself was, Carly, you know eating this way and moving this way is going to create that outcome. Not doing it is certainly not going to create yeah. that because my mind would go, screw it. You, you're not losing weight anyway. You might as well eat this. It's like, no, I know that definitely is it worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I had to separate what I looked like at the moment and recognize it was the season of my life that was creating that physical appearance, not, you know, what I was doing. So sometimes there is a lag time and you really have to respect and your body and still manifest and visualize the body you want, even though it may not be the body that you're looking at in the mirror. Yes, absolutely. So you talked about the BS detector, and I think that is so huge for all of us, especially when we're looking in the mirror and we're not seeing those results. What are some of the things that you use to kind of call yourself out or call clients out on? You know what? You're not doing the best that you can. You are in the season, but no, you're lying to yourself. Well, so the way I catch myself is through my emotional state. You know, some people are thinkers, some people are feelers. I'm very much a feeler. I, I share this formula in the book that our thoughts create every emotion we have and our emotional straight state ultimately drives our behaviors. And since dieting or weight loss or health is really behavior modification, we have to look at the root of what causes it, which is our thoughts. And so our emotions, which is the middle part of the formula, my BS detection is of I'm feeling anything other than happy, excited, inspired, at peace. I know that I am telling myself some sort of white lie or humongous lie that is getting me to feel a certain place that um, that doesn't feel great. So we said at the very beginning, you know, I said you deserve to feel good, and the whole the end goal of all goals is to be happy, even to be healthy. The goal after that is because it makes us happy because our quality of life increases. And so anytime I feel anxious or mad or sad, I know that the brain is lying in the way that maybe it's lying through comparison. 
Maybe uh-huh. it's showing me what I don't have instead of focusing on what I do. Maybe it's telling me that it's somebody else's fault instead of me looking at myself. Uh, maybe it's telling me the lie of perfectionism to to prove my enoughness instead of my imperfections to prove my humanness. Uh, and so I use my emotions for clients. I look for their emotions as well, but I also look for things they say. And one of the biggest BS detection call outs I make is when people say they don't have time and it really, and I've been there and my mind tries to convince me every day that I don't have time. My BS detection is my mind has now knows that I'm going to call myself if I say I don't have time. So now it just says, if I could have more than 24 hours, it's like dances around it. My mind's like, I will get you. Um, (laughs) And I'll think to myself like, man, if I just had four more hours to the day and that's my like 2.0 BS detection of like, I can't get away with, I don't have time. So I go, man, I would just love four more hours. Or if I could just sleep four hours and work the other four hours or whatever. But I know that uh, we make time for the things that we value and that there are people far busier than me, you. There are CEOs of 20 companies. I know Deepak Chopra owns, you know, 11 plus companies and the man still meditates two hours a day. So it is what we value. And that's one of the biggest things that I don't allow anyone around me, especially my clients to say the second they say, I skipped that exercise because I didn't have time. I go, no, you chose not to exercise, which is fine. I am intentionally choosing not to exercise today. I'm in intentionally spending this hour with you in order to serve everyone who's listening. I intentionally brought my daughter to an acupuncture appointment to serve her skin. And, you know, I, I, I am conscious about what I'm sacrificing because every time we say yes to something, we are saying no to something else and vice versa. When you say no to exercise, you might be saying yes to more work, but you are saying no to exercise. And I am not the type of health you know, person or guru or professional that always wants you to say yes to your health. That is not realistic. It's just that it is an ever moving balance. And if you continue to say yes to the same thing, like work, and you, which means that you continue to say no to the same thing, which is cooking or exercise, you are going to have a consequence if it keeps being the same thing. So what I like to look at is, you know, uh, last week I, I was recovering from a sickness, uh, for a cold. I mean, I'm very dramatic, a sickness. <laughs> I was recovering from a cold and I didn't exercise for the whole week because when you're sick and you exercise, it can really just make it worse. Right. So this week when I was planning out my exercise, I planned extra exercise while giving myself the pep talk that I'm not going to go in 100% like I used to do and then just hurt myself, but I'm going to exercise more this week because I, I, I had to say no to it last week. So if every week, everyone listening, at the beginning of the week, if you start to think about what did I say no to last week? Did I eat out too much last week? Did I say yes to too much sugar and no to meditation? What is it that I need to focus on this week so that it is this balance, so that there is no you know, dear consequence in, in one area? Then you'll be living a life in balance, which is where ultimate health comes from. Yeah. And yes to planning it and to being aware 
this week is high in sugar, this week is low in sugar, this week I have no exercise planned in, I'm going to plan it. Not just, oh, I hope something happens, I hope I have time. You're never going to have time if you just hope you have time. Yeah, yeah. Time is a resource that we'll never ever feel like we have enough of. It's it's how creative we are with that time and really getting clear on what we value. You have to make time for the things you value. You yes. cannot wait, as you said, for, I call it the when I, then eyes. I hear that all, that's another BS detection. When yeah. I, once I move into this new house and I'll have this great kitchen, then I'll start cooking. Once this new job, once this baby turns two, once this, then I, when I, then I, and it's like that carrot that we chase, you know, that they put in front of the horse and you can never quite grasp it. And so that's another BS attention. Whenever I hear when I then, I am like, no girl, you better do it now. Yep. Absolutely. So where can listeners find out more about you, get a copy of your book, learn about the work that you do? How, 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 how can they find you? So the best place to find me would be carlypollock.com, C-A-R-L-Y-P-O-L-L-A-C-K. And that will um, be such a great resource for my blog, for my online courses. And then through there, you can find yourself heading over to nutritionalwisdom.com, which is the private practice. And I have the best coaches in the world and we coach everyone all over the country. You do not need to live in Austin, Texas to be part of our coaching program. And I'm on Instagram. I do a daily uh, intention and nightly inventory on Instagram stories. And so uh, head over to Instagram. But you'll be able to find all of that on Carly Pollock and the book feed your soul. You can buy on Amazon, indie book, indie bound and in Barnes and Noble. Perfect. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing about you and your pillars and the BS detection. And like I said, I just really related to so much in your book and I was so pleasantly surprised that it truly was something more. It wasn't just another nutrition book. Thank you so much, one, for reading it and for having me on here. I I love having these conversations and my prayer and and intention is that for people listening to, to spark one new thought, to spark one inspiration, one feeling of support from me, even from very far away, if we never meet, if I never coach you, if you never take an online course, that something I said um, served you along your health path. That is my intention. And thank you for fostering the, you know, the space for us to do that. You're welcome. So, so very welcome. Listeners, reach out to Carly, to me. I can connect you to. And before I sign off today, I just want to share my dedication and my commitment to cooking more. Just once, just once, I'm going to go home today and I'm going to cook a meal. And I'm going to plan it in for next week, one thing at a time. So have a fantastic week. If you'd like to reach out and share the one change you guys are going to make, we would love to hear that. So you guys have a fantastic, wonderful week. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release self-judgment, reveal your naked self-worth, and re-choreograph a life filled with joy. Flaunt, find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more at laurachedle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com.